Good evening, church family. Uh, thank you so much to Gary and the team for leading us. Uh, when we sing uh, songs with such gusto before preaching, it makes preaching easier. Except when you're supposed to be preaching, you get carried away. So if my voice starts going up, it's my fault. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And we'll be looking at the first 11 verses. Uh, as we read this passage, we see here in the, in the text, uh, Mark using uh, his sandwich technique again. If you know the Gospel of Mark, you know he often tells a story within a story. And so in this passage, he starts the story off with the Pharisees and the religious leaders wanting to put Jesus to, te- to, to death, and it ends with Judas joining them. But right in between those two stories, uh, there is the story about uh, a woman in Bethany. Uh, also note that uh, this passage has parallels in Matthew 26, verse 6 to 13, and John 12, and I'll be referring to those every now and then, but if you want to study that further, you need to take note of where that parallel is. Uh, so Mark chapter 14, verse 1 to 11, this is God's word. Let's hear it together. It was now two days before the Passover and the, la- and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Only so far in the reading of God's word may reform our lives to its truth. I know we've prayed, but let's pray again very quickly. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening thankful for the Lord's day, thankful for the blessing that it is to us as we come to fix our eyes on you again. We do pray that in the preaching of the word, Christ would be preeminent in our affections that even the word tonight would stir our affections, that we would fall more and more in love with Christ, and that we would give ourselves more and more for His honor and glory. And we pray this in His name. Amen. Uh, The Greek historian uh, Xenophon tells the story of the Persian king Cyrus uh, when he conquered an Armenian king and his wife, an Armenian prince, and his wife. And, and before he decided to sell this couple into slavery, Cyrus asked these prisoners what they would give to be freed and to be returned to their kingdom. 
And to the shock of Cyrus, the prince responded and said that he cares little for his kingdom. In fact, he said he'd be willing to give up his entire kingdom and be willing to even give up himself if only his wife would be freed and be restored. Now, Cyrus was so moved by this selfless act that he decided to free both of them and they returned to their homeland. Now, that's not the end of the story. As this couple were on their way back to their home, uh, the prince asked his wife what she thought of this mighty King Cyrus who so graciously decided to free them. And to his disbelief, his wife said that she didn't take any notice of Cyrus. With shock, the prince asked his wife, what then were, what were you so captivated by that you didn't even take note of Cyrus? Well, she responded, I didn't notice him because I couldn't take my eyes off you, that you would give yourself for me. Now, I share that story because I think you would agree with me, there's something beautiful about sacrifice. There's something beautiful and captivating when we see acts of selfless sacrifice for those we love. We could perhaps think of many other stories in history, in Scripture, where sacrifice indeed is something beautiful, something that inspires us, something that stirs our affections. And our passage is one such story. Here we have revealed for us the beauty of sacrifice. Here we find a young woman whom we know to be Mary from John, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, and here we see her giving up her most prized possession all for the sake of Christ. And Jesus' response is, is beautiful as well because he responds by saying that she has done something that is beautiful. The question that a passage like this almost forces upon us is this, are we beautiful? Are we beautiful? Are you and I beautiful because we're marked by selfless sacrifice for Christ? I'd venture to say that much of modern Christianity is, is ugly because it lacks this sacrifice. It knows very little of sacrifice. Let's be honest, our Christianity at times is often very comfortable and very casual because, quite frankly, our Christianity hasn't actually paid the cost. Our Christianity lacks the cost and knows little of the cost, whether it's young adults or youth who get infatuated with this world and easily drop Christ and the gospel for the world, or whether it's young adults or matured believers who, in idleness or laziness, lose their first love in Christ. As you see, many today, I think, have not really dealt with Romans 12.1. Many have not come to terms with what that verse causes to, to be living sacrifices, willing to give self, willing to die to self, all for the sake of living for Christ. And, and the question I wrestle with, the question I'm struggling with even in preparing this message is, where is my willingness to sacrifice? Where is our willingness I fear perhaps I have grown comfortable. I fear perhaps we have become too at ease in our Christianity. And this is where a passage like this is so necessary because, 
Because perhaps what we need in our ease, perhaps what we need in our comfort is an example of sacrifice. And may I suggest to you, we need this example, especially with the week ahead of us. As we head into Holy Week, as we remember Christ's sacrifice and and resurrection, as we sing and celebrate about Christ's salvation for us, it is necessary for us to ask the question, how will we respond to this? It is necessary for us to see what response Jesus, in fact, finds beautiful. And the response that he finds beautiful is one of sacrifice. As we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us, may we respond with sacrifice for him. And Mary gives us an example of sacrifice, a sacrifice that Jesus not only calls beautiful, but he says that she will be remembered for this sacrifice wherever the gospel is preached. And so as a gospel-believing church that preaches the gospel as we head into a week that celebrates the gospel, I I want us to remember Mary. I want us to see her example so that we'd walk in her footsteps and emulate something of her beauty. Uh, Three things I want you to see from our text this evening. Uh, I want you to see, firstly, I want you to remember her sacrifice. Three things to remember about Mary. Remember her sacrifice in verse 3. Look at verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nod, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. As you would know, in those days, it was common courtesy to to welcome your guests, to anoint them perhaps with oil, to wash their feet. Yet what Mary does here goes, goes way beyond what's common courtesy because she gives up what is her most prized possession in the process. Mary breaks an alabaster flask filled with pure nard and she pulls all of it over Christ to anoint his body. Now, to give you some background here, uh, pure nard was an aromatic oil that was extracted from an Indian herb, uh, as some say even extracted from the Himalayans. And the point is, this is something that's very rare. It's very expensive. In fact, we're told it costs more than 300 denarii, which in those days is entire here salary. Think about that. Take your salary for this year and imagine giving that as a sacrifice for Christ. It's costly. And if that's not enough, this was probably more than just a a year's earnings. No, this was probably a a family heirloom. This is something passed down from generation to generation as something beautiful and precious and valuable. In fact, even a safety net just in case trouble looms. And so this flask is, is something with immense monetary and sentimental value. And what does Mary do? She sacrifices all of it for Christ. In a matter of seconds, the entire year's salary is gone. A matter of seconds, an heirloom is broken and cast away. Do you see how excessive she is? She doesn't just pour out a little. No, she breaks the floor. She pours out everything. She doesn't hold anything back. What a picture of wholehearted sacrifice. 
This isn't some super apostle, remember. This is a young, humble lady who sacrifices the most precious thing she has for Christ. Why? Because apparently Christ is worth it. Mary has counted the cost and she has found that Jesus is far more precious and far more valuable than anything else she owns. Long before Paul wrote Philippians, Mary knew that whatever she had, it was nothing but loss, nothing but rubbish in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. When I see this example of Mary's sacrifice, and I even think of what Paul says in Philippians 3, uh, my mind immediately goes to a play uh, called Breathe that was written by Samuel Beckett in the 1960s. Uh, the, The idea behind this play was that there would be this dark stage, and the stage would be slowly lit, and behold, on the stage would be nothing but rubbish. Nothing but junk, smelly, dirty, fly-infested junk. And for 30 seconds, this will be displayed. And as it's being displayed, there would be the sound of breathing being played over it. And for 30 seconds, there's this breathing. 30 seconds, and the crowd is waiting. What's going to happen? They're waiting with eager anticipation. And after 30 seconds, the stage goes dark, and the curtains close, and that's the end. What Beckett was trying to say in a very bleak way is that life is a preoccupation with rubbish. And I think he's got a point. Life without Christ is a preoccupation with rubbish. Mary understood that and she was willing to sacrifice everything for Christ, knowing that nothing compares to him. She sacrificed, therefore, all that she had for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. But why? Why would she make such a costly sacrifice? Uh, This is where John's parallel is quite helpful. At John 11, we see that Jesus has immense power. He's able with three words to raise Lazarus from the dead. He he was able to raise him back to life. And after all, we see, we're taught that he's the resurrection and the life. Yet what we must see and understand from John 11 that precedes John 12 is that Jesus not only has immense power, he displays immense love for his friends. John 11, 33 to 36 says this, When Jesus saw her, that is Mary, weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved within his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. So Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. May I suggest to you that in the moment of her grief, Mary came to see the love of Christ. She came to see that Jesus isn't just this great teacher. He isn't just this great miracle worker. No, she came to see that he is someone who loves. He loved her. He loved her family. He he loved outsiders. That's why he's even sitting in the house of a leper. Or an ex-leper, if you will. See, she came to see something of the love of Christ. And it was this love of Jesus 
I would argue, motivated and moved her to love Jesus with sacrifice. To, to, to give of herself all for the sake of Jesus. Uh, John Owen said this, We are never nearer to Christ than when we find ourselves lost in the holy amazement at His unspeakable love. Uh, I would argue that's where Mary is. She's lost in the amazement of Jesus' love, love that leads her to sacrifice the most precious thing she has. You see a picture of this also in John chapter 12, verse 3. John tells us that Mary not only anoints his body, but anoints his feet. She washes his feet, and, and he makes this comment. He says, she wiped his feet with her hair. Now imagine that for a second, you're in an uh, ancient Near Eastern home, and here is this woman, she enters into the company of the men, she unties her hair, she gets on her hands and knees, she puts her face by his feet, and weeping, she wipes his feet. In, in that culture, that's shocking, that's undignified, and Mary apparently doesn't care, because she's overwhelmed with love. I heard recently someone describe sacrifice as love's only language. Well, here Mary's love speaks in sacrifice. She offers out this precious gift all for the sake of Christ. In a sense, you can say the outpouring of this oil is a picture of the outpouring of her heart in love with Christ. And again, her her example challenges us, dear friends, what's the state of your heart before Jesus? What language does your love speak? Do you love with sacrifice? Do you see Christ as so worthy that you're willing to sacrifice the most precious thing to you for him? Again, notice verse 6, Jesus says that Mary has done a beautiful thing. It's as if Jesus is saying, this is what I want. This is what I find pleasing. This is what true beauty looks like. Now, now why is this beautiful? Why? Well, well, because I would argue this kind of sacrificial love really reflects Christ's love, doesn't it? See, the sacrificial love is, this sacrificial love is beautiful in the eyes of Christ because it reflects his own sacrificial love. His love that, that sacrifices and gives himself for sinners like us. By this we know love, First John tells us, that he laid down his life for us. He even says in John 15 verse 30, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. See, when we understand that Mary's love is motivated ultimately by love for Christ and it reflects something of Christ's love for us. When we understand that, the question isn't merely do our hearts overflow with sacrificial love for Jesus. Now, that's the important question. That's what Mary's example is meant to prompt us with. Do our hearts overflow with sacrificial love? But the more important question is this. Are our hearts ultimately overwhelmed by the sacrificial love of Christ. I wonder, could it perhaps be the case that we have become unwilling to sacrifice for Christ because we've become unimpressed by the love of Christ? 
Perhaps it could be that, that our Christianity has become cold and casual and comfortable because we've forgotten the cost of our Christianity, the precious blood of the Lord. So in a sense, this floss, this broken floss that pours out precious oil is a picture of Christ's broken body that pours out His precious blood for, for us, for our forgiveness, for our acceptance, so that Christ would offer His sacrifice pleasing before the Father for us. Could, could it be perhaps the case that our Christianity is called because we've lost sight of that? of Christ's love for us. The, the reason our hearts do not overflow with sacrifice is because our hearts have been fixed on Christ. See, Mary saw Jesus' love and the result was sacrifice. And perhaps, perhaps it's the case that we fail to sacrifice because we fail to see Christ's love for us. If that's the case with you, dear friend, remember Mary's sacrifice and remember they reflect something of Jesus' sacrifice for his people. So that's the first thing I want you to remember about Mary, her, her sacrifice. The second thing I want you to remember about Mary is her scolding. You see that in verse 4 to 5. Look at it quickly. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this, oil, this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Now, after Mary puts on display such a, a beautiful display of sacrificial love, you would think the disciples would be happy, right? Yet the sad reality is the opposite is true. Mark says some of them were indignant and scolded Mary. Uh, that word scolded there means to, to flare your nostrils in anger. These men are furious. And who are they? Well, Matthew 26, 8 tells us it's the disciples. Not just Judas, John tells us, but, but the disciples generally. They're opposing her. And so we find this amazing situation where, where the disciples of Jesus, men who were meant to serve Him and follow Him and sacrifice all for Him, are actually found opposing Him. Don't miss the irony there. The disciples who are calling sacrificial love a waste are meant, were meant to, to sacrifice themselves for Christ, to, to give of themselves. These are the same disciples who left house and home for Christ. Yet here they call waste what Mary has done. Now, now they say they've got a good reason uh, why this is a waste. They say the money could have spent to, to, to support the poor. And yes, of course, we know the Bible and Jesus often speaks about giving to the poor. But, but the issue here isn't so much the, the presence of the poor. No, the issue is the presence of Christ. The, the value and the worth of Christ. Th think of it this way. Why does Mary make this expensive sacrifice? Because for her, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is deserving. And why do they scold her? Because they fail to see that Christ is worthy of it. They fail to see that he's deserving of this. That's the issue here. These disciples were ultimately devaluing Christ. The followers of Christ were blind to the importance of Christ. That's why they say, that's why Jesus rebukes them, verse 6 and 7. Leave her alone, he says. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. 
For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. In scolding Mary, they were in fact insulting Christ. Uh, James Edwards, in his commentary of, on this passage, says this, Their condemnation obviously demeans the woman and her gift. However, in asserting that there could be a better use of the money, they demean Jesus as well, whom they regard as unworthy of such extravagance. See, the problem of these disciples was this. They scolded Mary because they had a low view of Christ. They scolded her because they didn't share her high value for Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's a warning to every single one of us. It's possible to be a supposed disciple of Jesus and to completely miss him. Now, why must we remember Mary's scolding? Well, two reasons. Firstly, we need to remember her scolding as a warning about the world. If you follow Christ, and I think you know this, if you follow Christ, you will be scolded by the world. The response of this world, if you decide to give yourself completely to Christ, they will say, what a waste. What a waste. Why? What a waste to give up, the, give up the pleasures of sin for the pursuit of holiness. What a waste to give up the popularity and the, the esteem that this world offers all to please God. What a waste to, to avoid the presence of wickedness and to rather delight in the presence of God's people. And know this, there's a cost to following Jesus. You cannot love this world and love Christ. If you love Christ, the world will call you a waste. Again, to quote Edwards, he says this, The world has never had a problem with religion in moderation. It has no problem with too much wealth or power or sex or infants, but has a problem with too much religion. I recognize that. That this world has a low view of Christ, and if you esteem Christ as preeminent, as more valuable than anything or anyone else, this world will call that a waste. So remember her scolding as a warning about the world, but secondly, remember her scolding as a warning about worldliness. Here we see the, see the sad example of disciples having a low view of Christ and completely missing Him. In comparison to the beautiful example of Mary, we see the ugly example of Judas, right? This disciple was one outwardly but not inwardly. As 2 Timothy 3.5 would say, he was someone who had the appearance of godliness but who denied its power. Now, we, we see this all around us, don't we? Many claim the name of Christ. Many claim to be involved in the things of God, yet they know nothing of God. They know nothing of sacrificing for Christ. No, like Judas, they're here for what they can take, not give. And, and so let me ask you the question here. What's your motive? Why are you here this morning? Are you here because, like Mary, you've seen the beauty of Christ's love and you want Him, you desire Him? Or are you here because you want something from Jesus? You want something from His people? 
Let your friends be warned of worldliness. It is possible to be very close to Jesus, to be in the midst of his people, to hear good sound teaching about Jesus, and you'd be totally blind to him, to be totally unaware of his value and his worth. And so, dear friends, be, remember her scolding as a warning against this world and the threat of worldliness. Thirdly, I want you to see and remember her status. Remember her status. You see that in verse 6 to 9. And not only does he rebuke his disciples, and not only does he defend her, but he praises her with honor. Although, although others despise her, Jesus delights in Mary. The very fact that this incident is recorded for us in Scripture, the very fact that I'm speaking about Mary tonight is a testimony that Jesus has kept his promise that she will be honored and remembered. Uh, what an encouragement this ought to be for us, for those who have made great sacrifices for Christ. Have you made difficult sacrifices for Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus and it's cost you friends? It's cost you popularity? It's cost you promotions? It's cost you saying no to desires of your heart? Be encouraged. Those who make much of Christ, who deny self for Christ, they will be made much of by Christ. Matthew 10, 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, Jesus says, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Or Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The point is this, those who forget themselves, those who forsake all else for Christ, they will be honored by Christ. If you're struggling with, with your faith in Christ and it's come with a cost, be encouraged by Christ honoring those who honor him. J.C. Ryle said this, the praise of man is but a few days. The praise of Christ, however, endures forever. The pathway to lasting honor is to honor Christ. But recognize, dear friends, the opposite is also quite true, isn't it? The pathway to lasting dishonor is to dishonor Christ. And this is certainly true of Judas and the Jewish leaders. For all eternity, they will be known as the people who betray the Son of God. Why? Because they were envious, they were greedy, they were self-seeking. Know this, for those who are self-seeking, for those who live for self, not for Christ, who do not see Christ as preeminently valuable, they will have nothing but dishonor. Now, now there's something else to take note of in this passage. Mary is honored not just for her sacrifice, but I would argue for her insight into the gospel. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body for burial. Now, now some commentators say that she didn't know she was anointing Jesus' body for burial. They say she just did what she did out of her love and thanks for Jesus. Other commentators say, and I would agree with them, that Mary knew exactly what she was doing. 
She sat under Jesus' teaching. She heard him predict his death and resurrection. She had come to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. She believed that he is, has come to give his life as a ransom for many. She had come to know that he indeed is the resurrection and the life. And she had come to put her faith in Christ. She had come to see by faith the beauty of Christ and his coming sacrifice. Before many others, Mary had come to believe the gospel. That's why Jesus all of a sudden says this of her, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. See, Mary understood and believed the gospel, and so she did what she did. She sacrificed what she could, all for the sake of Jesus, her Lord and her Savior. Mary wanted to play her part. She wanted to do what she could, and she was honored for it. The question for us is, have we done what we can? Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 116 verse 12 asked this question, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Dear friends, that's the question that, that, this, that we should be asking this week. What we, what we will render, what will we render to Jesus and all his benefits that he's accomplished for us? What will be our response to what he has done? His love poured out for us. And, and realize our text really presents us with two options, two responses. Uh, that's why Mark uses the sandwich technique. He, he wants to compare the beauty of Mary with the ugliness of the religious leaders and Judas. Uh, one commentator has put it this way, the bitter hate of the chief priests appear all the more malignant by contrast with Mary's devoted and enthusiastic love. And Mary's devoted and enthusiastic love shines out the more splendidly against the black and bitter hate of the priests. And, and so what do we see? We see on the one hand these high priests, these, these religious men plotting murder. And think about it. They're, they're about to enter into Passover. They're supposed to be giving themselves to thinking about God's sacrifice, God saving them, God's grace and love in their lives, and they're consumed with hate. They're consumed with themselves. And against this hideousness, their hate, Mary shines beautifully as she lavishes love. The contrast couldn't be more clear and more challenging. Mary is willing and ready to give up everything for Christ, and these other men are ready to give up Christ. And I believe God puts these examples before us ultimately to challenge us. Where are you? Who are you? Are we willing to give up everything, everything for the sake of Christ? Or will we give up Christ for the sake of just about anything else? Or, or perhaps you can ask it this way. What awaits us? What awaits you and me? Will we be those who are honored by Christ as beautiful because we give of ourselves all to Christ? Or will we be those who are discarded eternally as dishonored and disfigured by their hideousness because we sought our own ends, our own selfish desires, 
take heart in this blessing by Jesus. Matthew eleven six, he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That is to say, blessed are those who delight in me. Blessed are those who forsake all for me. I almost want to change that verse if I can and say, beautiful are those. Beautiful are those who are not offended by Christ. And so the question is, dear friends, are we beautiful? Are we those who will sacrifice for Christ, no matter the cost? As we enter into this week, let's remember Mary's sacrifice. Let's remember what she did. Let's reflect her sacrifice, giving up all in love for Christ. If you will allow me, I want to close with one last illustration. In the early 1800s, uh, William Frederick, William Frederick uh, was the third, William Frederick III, sorry, was the king of Prussia. And at that time, Prussia was in a war with Napoleon and was known as the Wars of Independence. And the war was quite heavy on Prussia. The country was almost driven to complete bankruptcy. And to overcome this financial trouble, uh, the royal family decided that they would sell some of the royal jewelry. And they asked the women of Prussia to do the same thing. And, and they would sell their jewelry and melt it down to help the nation in its need. And Frederick promised that, that if they sold their gold and silver, he would in return, out of gratitude, give them bronze ornaments as symbols of their sacrifice and his gratitude. And, and to the royal family's surprise, the, the response was overwhelming. Most families at the time willingly gave up and sacrificed for the sake of the country. But what's the amazing thing is this. For the years to come, the bronze ornaments, those cheap bronze ornaments, were more prized and more precious than the gold and silver ornaments. In fact, during that time, it was unfashionable to wear anything but these bronze jewelry, which means that for a season in Prussia, true beauty was marked not by worldly opulence of gold and silver. No, true beauty was marked by humble bronze ornaments that were symbols of sacrifice. I think as Christians, we are called to be beautiful. We're called to be beautiful because we are marked by sacrifice and we carry, figuratively speaking, ornaments of sacrifice. As we love Christ, as we deny self, as we turn from this world, as we raise our families in the fear of the Lord, as we count the cost of following Christ, we carry humble ornaments of sacrifice for Christ. And we willingly do so because we do not serve a king who sells some of his royal jewelry. We serve a king who gives up himself, who sheds his blood, his body for us, who faces the wrath of his father to reconcile us to his father so that we'd be forgiven and accepted and be united to our God. And so, dear friends, may we be beautiful because we believe in our beautiful Savior. And we're going to close now now with Francis Avergill's song, uh, Take My Life and Let It Be, Take My Hands, Take My Voice, Take My Silver, Take My Will, Take My Love, Take Myself, and I Will Be Ever Only All For Thee. May that be our prayer this evening. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and we ask that we would be a pleasing people in your sight. That our lives would be like that precious oil, that precious ointment that is poured out and fills the room with, with sweet, fragrant aroma. As we head out into this world, as we live for you, as we sacrifice for you, we pray that we would be that sweet aroma to this world and to you, more importantly. That we would be indeed living sacrifices who willingly and lovingly forsake all for the sake of you. Help us in this. Forgive us where we have fallen slack. Forgive us where we have fallen comfortable and at ease in our Christianity. And even as we head into this week that in many ways is holy, we pray that you'd fix our hearts again on Christ to see his beautiful sacrifice, his precious blood and body broken for us, and his resurrection for our justification. Help us to behold these things, to believe, and to serve you in all that we do. And say and think in Christ's name. Amen.